So I'm going to ask a question that that might fly off the wrong way, but I'm going to ask see. it anyways. Do you think that like to some degree there's also a certain level of internalized racism too? Because Absolutely. I've noticed that the further Absolutely. up you go, the less and less minority people you see. But it's not necessarily always because there's some kind of racial um disparity, but from what I've realized a lot of minorities I don't I don't know maybe it's just like a lack of confidence to to put ourselves out there or something that we just haven't been taught or we haven't seen modeled but I've noticed that sometimes all you need to do is just say hey I'm here I'm going to be heard but we don't do that and then we then make excuses for it after so is that some is that something that we need to be working on too because we can't just be blaming the other person Absolutely. 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 Internalized racism is an absolute thing. And lack of confidence for a person of color is so there. Like the fact that I was talking to these soccer players, I mean, I wasn't even, it wasn't even a challenging question. It's like, it was a no brainer. Like, why you brings you to Peterborough? You know, and they're, yeah. they were like, they couldn't even answer it. And, and I'm a black person. So I'm thinking, you know, we just have a conversation. Right. So mm-hmm. It is a lack of confidence. It is that they 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 don't want to, you know, like sit back, like take that the chance of 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 their voices and their voices are not heard because it's drowned out because of the fact that the dominant white society is drowning it out, right? And and mm-hmm. that's where the frustration comes in when you get those riots, um, the peaceful uh, peaceful uh, protests that have turned to riots. Uh, um, so you know, no one is immune. Yes, no one is immune. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's it. Um, you know, because of the frustrations, because you're not being heard, you are trying to break. You're trying to let your voice be heard, and, yeah. and no one is. You know. So, for example, um, like uh, <laughs> the invisible factor of racism. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that um, when I go in somewhere and it's an all white white place, I'm very used to being in an all white setting. I grew up um, in the junction, Dundas and Keel, and um, in my neighborhood, we were the only black family. Um, we played, I played, we played very easily with um, the people in the neighborhood. I went to a, a school that had mostly all whites. It was all whites. So from a very young age, I've been um, thing I'm used to white. It's like I'm very comfortable with white people. Um, yeah. Loved hockey, still love hockey. Grew up every Saturday night was hockey night in Canada. You wouldn't see anybody on the streets on Saturday night where we grew up. We were all into hockey, all in Toronto Maple Leafs, collect baseball cards, traded wow. with the kids, everything. So you know we'd go skating. So we did the whole nine yards um, mm-hmm. as far as being. So I'm very comfortable in a white with whites, but I find in Peterborough, that's not the situation. They are not comfortable with me, and I can see they're uncomfortable yeah. when I walk into a room. Uh, the, you know, they don't know sometimes kind of how to approach you, kind of yeah. like what do you say? Because God forbid they say something that's politically incorrect, right? Mm-hmm. I'm with race relations, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, oh my gosh, here goes your way. Like, what if I say something <laughs> that's not correct and she calls me a racist? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. 
uh, you know, if they know me, but even if they don't know me, they, they, uh, you do get that invisible factor. So, um, and, and, and so the thing with um, internalized racism, you start to feel um, like you don't belong. And, and so that's where you start to get the non-confidence because then when I walk into a room, even though I have made a voice here in Peterborough in the society, I do get times where I feel um, not don't have the confidence to speak up because of how I'm being treated by the dominant society. Um, mm. You know, and it's it's very simple. It's like you know, you go into a room and you're in a circle, and everyone is like um, talking to each other. Oh, how are you doing? And they'll they'll greet you, hey, hi, and. But that's about it. But to other people, it's like, oh, how was your weekend? La, la, la. Mm -hmm. But you're just saying that you're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, and so you keep quiet. You don't want to talk because you think that your voice is not going to be heard and they don't really care about you. And that's, that's the thing. They don't really care about you. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I find what Danielle, Danielle commented and said, um, I think a lot of times minorities are just afraid to take up space. I think that's also like in alignment with what you're saying. I think that's kind of true as well. Mm -hmm. Not kind of true. That's true too. Um, because again, for me, I think we've, we've obviously had these discussions before. I grew up with a lot of black people, but I also grew up with a lot of a diverse group of people. Um, mm -hmm. And so for me, I don't necessarily, I, I've been taught that if you want something, they will hear you. And um that's something that i've realized like a lot of people a lot of the black people i talk to personally are afraid to air out their opinions they are afraid of what the repercussions will be if they disagree with another person um and we were even talking about it with trent a couple of uh like about a month ago about how uh, a lot of like international students will come into an environment where mm -hmm. they've always been taught that the white people are the dominant people. Mm -hmm. And then now you're essentially forced to sit in class with the people who are supposed to be your oppressors and have conversations with them and do group assignments with them, but that's not how your mind works. And then go to job interviews and be successful at integrating with your society. But again, they don't put into account the idea that these a lot of these people a lot of us have grown up being taught that white people uh other races and i think now china as well a lot of other races that aren't black are the dominant races and so it becomes difficult for people to feel safe to even air out their opinions or feel safe to be themselves in these spaces because all their lives they've been taught to be silent yeah, yeah. And I just, I like the comment here. We all receive the same socialization. No one is, no one is immune. Welcome to everybody who is joining. Um, see some familiar faces. We're going to be talking about racism and racial um, injustices. This is going to be part two of the video. Um, guys, this part two is, it's important that we all ask questions. If you have any questions for Charmaine. Yeah, as we 
wait for Charmaine. Thank you for this interview. I hope Charmaine makes it back. I hope so too. I really hope so too. We're trying to get her back, but it keeps saying that um, it's waiting for Charmaine to load. Um, there we go. There we go. There we go. Now you can see my pretty, and I, I have it so you can see my t-shirt. Black Lives Matter. <laughs> I think I need to get one too. Where oh, do yes. I find one? Oh, I don't know. I'm doing good. Someone's asking, how are you doing? I, this Hi, is much better. Now I figured this out. And Yay! second half. <laughs> All I need, actually, it's so funny because um, we don't have air conditioning in this house, so... I was saying, yeah, I was saying what we need to do is just get some sand in here and have it like a little beach. We're in Jamaica, put on our bathing suits and like, this is Jamaica. That's like, a good idea. Sweating. We're That's sweating. A good idea. And what's even better is that we're sweating inside and we're not getting a tan. So we're not getting mm -hmm. dark. Mm -hmm. We're keeping our shade. Mm, you don't want the colorism police to find you and hunt you. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, yeah, but no sun, right? So <laughs> I really don't care. But, you know, it's interesting because um, you see, this is a, a thing about shade is I'm so, uh, I'm not even joking. I went to a, a restaurant, Chinese restaurant in, in Toronto. It was Definitely, like every the uh, the um, menu was in Chinese, and um, mm -hmm. uh, ninety-five percent of them were from China. And on the menu, I couldn't believe it. They said one of the dishes. They claim, oh, if you eat this dish, you become whiter. <laughs> I was like, oh what? Yes, it did. It said it. I couldn't believe. It. I was gonna say, and I was with like oh, like a couple of a few black people. I were like dying, laughing, like how could the dish make you whiter? But they were claiming that this dish, if you eat it, will make you whiter. In this diet, and I'm like, oh my god. I mean, it I'm works. curious now. I just want to know if it works. Yeah, that's what we were saying. Like we were gonna like we were gonna order a whole bunch of we we're gonna order a whole bunch of uh of this one dish, right? To see if we like while we're eating we'd become oh, that whiter. Works. That would be and I would wanna know the science behind it to be honest. Like yeah. how what ingredient do they use to make it work? <sighs> yeah, but that's it, crazy. It, 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 it actually said on the menu. Yeah, eat this dish and you become whiter. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God. Oh. Oh. Okay, so guys, we're talking about colorism and uh yeah. I don't remember where we were before. We left yeah, the we were asking about um uh, the confidence that the people don't blacks do not have Yes. Oh, I, I know where I wanted to go. So I have a question for you, Charmaine. Okay. <laughs> I'm single. You, you're asking you're ask me for days. I'm available. <laughs> you can okay, um, Do either of you feel unsafe in this community? Charmaine, do you want to answer that first? Uh, uh, that's, why I, that's why I travel only with big white men. And when I go out, mm. so they, they're my protectors. Honestly, 
I don't think I I felt unsafe initially when I first moved here. I think I was I when I lived in the UK, um I went to a school where you could count on your like on your fingers the number of black people that were in my like the high school the section of my of my school. So I got used to being the only one black person and so when I moved to Peterborough it wasn't a different community it was pretty much the same like I, and I, I think for the first maybe two or three years I didn't really feel particularly unsafe but I think recently mm -hmm. I've become very very much aware um, of everything that goes on in this community sometimes it's not everybody but it's some people um, and I think I feel unsafe, not necessarily just because of my race, but I'm 4'11", and I'm yeah. a woman. Yeah, and recently, yeah, safety. yeah. Mm -hmm. So like all those little intersections, I'm just like, uh, sometimes mm -hmm. I, I feel the need to just, you know, walk a little bit faster to get to where I need to get to. I always have my friends on speed dial. My friends have my location at all times. I'm not playing those games. And if I find somebody who's following me, I was taught that if you turn around and make eye contact, people feel shame. So I turn around and I look them in the eye and they usually turn around and then I run. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's a really good question. I, you know, the first time I heard about Blacks being fearful of white people was um, when I read Mayo Angelo's book, uh, uh, Know Why the Caged Birds Sing. I can't remember. It. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in the book, in the book, she talks about um, being because uh, she grew up in an all black community. And there was a lot of uh, talk in that in her community about uh, being fearful of whites. And then she went into a she went somewhere and she's a, she was fearful when she was in an all white community because of what they could do to her. And at the time, because I grew up in an all-white community and I was never fearful. And mm. I was like, oh my gosh, like black people could be fearful of, I, and, like, I don't know, I guess I was very ignorant, obviously, because I, I read the book when I was like, I think first year university or something. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that this was a thing that um, blacks could be fearful of the whites. Because at that time, I grew up in an all-white neighborhood and we were very, there was never any overtly whites being up a, a black person so it was like oh you oh, could be yeah. fearful so um because of that um yeah no i i i do not feel fearful i and I, it's because of my upbringing now having said that uh i am fearful for my son okay i'm fearful oh. for my son i'm fearful for you know when if when he goes out in the community with his because he has he has a very good group of white friends and they go out on the town. I am fearful when he goes out with his friends because he's the only black guy with them and they don't know. They just see him as a regular black guy. And he, he's a pretty muscular guy. If you see my son, he's pretty muscular, mm. uh, but he, he, he is so gentle. I remember putting him in karate when he was eight years old and he mm. he only lasted one session because he said he didn't want to hit people. <laughs> so he, he did not, couldn't, he, I couldn't, he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do the karate thing. He didn't like yeah. the 
fighting and stuff. And so people seeing him will unfortunately be maybe like a George, like being like, um, you know, listening to the police officer because that's what he was mm -hmm. doing. Mm. He was, you know, they didn't, he, there was no resistance when they handcuffed him in. There was no resistance when they put him on the ground, no resistance when they took him out of the, the car. He was compliant, right? Mm. But he, he died because he was black. He was a black man and that was his crime. And so I am fearful for my son, you know, yeah. and he, he has had, he has had incidents that unfortunately he was, he was attacked. Mm -hmm. um being in a white community and he was attacked it wasn't necessarily in peterborough but it was like an all-white community and so mm -hmm. i'm fearful for him um yeah i'm fearful for him we had someone say that um they had been called the n-word um whilst they were taking a walk and I just wanted to like acknowledge that and say like, yo, we're so sorry that has happened to you. Um, and I just wanted to give like a plug that if there are any people who have experienced any kind of um, racial uh, situations with racism or injustice, um, you can definitely come to the CRRC, the Community Race Relations um, Committee. We are here to serve everybody. And even if it's just getting you connected with people who can be access resources um that's our job and we want to be able to support you in whatever way that we can uh follow us on instagram i'm giving you a shameless plug because i think we do a really chaos job <laughs> and i have a bias because obviously i i work with crc but um yeah if you have ever if you ever have any situations um please feel free to reach out to us we do have training sessions as well um and i think that's one of the things that's made me feel safe in peterborough as well we had a decolonization event where we like all the young people essentially had conversations with all the older people um and we had peterborough police come we had we had a bunch of people from the community come and I spoke specifically to the head of police, the Peterborough police guy. Yes. And I explained to him my point of view and why I felt unsafe in, in, in Peterborough. And he explained to me, like, the way the police view the situation as well. And I think it made me have a better understanding of what my rights are. Because I'm an international student and a lot of the times we aren't even aware of what our rights are. Um, and so I would encourage you to come to some of these um, events. Um, they really open up your mind and hopefully will make you feel safer being a part of this community because you don't want to be in a community exactly. where you don't feel safe. That's, that's not the way you want to live your life. Um, someone asked, um, thank you for doing this. I heard responding to racial posts as a white person is helpful. Um, do you feel this is helpful? Charmaine, what do you think? Uh, can you say that again? You were cutting out. Oh, um, I heard responding to racial posts as a white person on social media is helpful. Do you feel that this is helping? Oh, you mean as a, about, um, someone responds as like it's a, a racial post and a white person responds to it? Yeah. Or um, like, even like, um, I know for me, I've had a situation where uh, someone said a racial slur, and before I even said anything about it, the 
other white person that I was with essentially just interjected and cut that person down real quick. And they ended up just like simmering their energy down and apologizing. And so maybe like a situation like that as well. What do you think about that? Is that helpful? Yeah, especially if they're, um, you know, if they're really educated um, mm -hmm. and they, you know, they know the language. Um, uh, but it's almost like, you know, the movie Get Out, right? Mm -hmm. Have you seen that one? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The white girlfriend is, um, when they're stopped by the uh, white uh, officer and she knew the language, but she was very, mm -hmm. like, she knew what to say. Like, how how come you're asking him for his driver's license? Like, you know, mm -hmm. what is, like, what's up with that? So, like I said, um, people could, you know, definitely um, be, uh, say the right, right words, um, which is very helpful um, to advocate. But sometimes you have to also let the Black person advocate and let them have that voice, right? To step mm -hmm. up the play, but um, I totally like on the social media. I do find it uh, refreshing when a white person says the right thing as far as trying to put down any sort of racist comment. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, um, as a black person, when it's especially on social media, you have the target on your back, and mm -hmm. you know, um, people unfortunately on social media can be more aggressive with their racist views. CBC had to, when it comes to Indigenous, anything Indigenous, um, they had to dismantle the comment section because uh, a lot of the people running in um, were very racist against, so they had to take that down um, wow. sort of thing. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Someone else asked, how do you feel uh, Oh, sorry. How do you folks feel about allyship in the city, especially the trending allyship that seems to be prevalent? 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 Yeah, prevalent. Prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like switching between like my Zimbabwean side and my, my other side. <laughs> so, uh, allyship. So, with the Black Lives Matter, um, it's funny because uh, when we had our Black Lives Matter meetings or groups or whatever, it was like maybe just me and Niambi that were the only Black people and everybody mm. else. And they were, uh, having said that, they were the ones who were with us. They were very supportive and very giving us the floor to uh, voice what we had to say and to organize accordingly. So they were very good in that way. They, mm. you know, they were they would mute themselves. And I, um, I find um, that uh, people in Peterborough, the ones who want to form that ally, would um, mute themselves and give um, the uh, floor to those people of color. So that's really good. And understanding that. So for example, um, at our rallies, um, we would have um, the Blacks who were in the community, they were the ones who went and they spoke and they understood that. So some people do have problems with that because they're, they are allies and they're thinking, why can't we also speak because we're supporting you. Mm -hmm. um, but the true allies would say, no, um, you've been silent for too long. This is the opportunity for Blacks. So for example, when we first started like, a you know, 2013 with uh, building allyship, I don't know how you say it. Allyship. Um, allyship. 
and the, the TV would come, like um, uh, news crew would come, and it would be automatic. They would go right to the like it'd be like we're organizing something, and it's like other rally, you know, um, to empower blacks, and and they you'd be there'd be like maybe not a lot of blacks, but they would mm. they would go right to the, the like, what do you think, right? Mm. And so those people would redirect them and say, go talk to Niambi or Charmaine, like you know, we are, we're always in the spotlight, and that's the yeah. thing with building allyship is it's giving opportunity to. Uh, to build the confidence of a person of color because especially as a black woman we don't get the opportunity and and so having said that um i did get a lot of flack when i called out the white guy who got the executive director position of you know where in peterborough and you know because people were saying oh some people of course some people unfortunately call me racist and you're so racist like how dare you you know call out a white guy you know he's probably well qualified for the job and all that right but that's Mm -hmm. not point yes it was discriminatory to say he shouldn't have that's discriminating against him right Mm -hmm. but it was to make the right wrong to bring racial equality um in the society in a in an organization that's run mainly by women 80 percent of women in that organization and uh what is it eight percent are women and 50 or more percent are are a person of color and Mm -hmm. then you put a white guy in there without any immigration a fourth generation canadian does not make any freaking sense and and people could not understand that even yeah. some of the allies who would be they would be very nice to me oh Jermaine, i read the article and i understand a lot but you know and i heard that behind my back they were like oh, i can't believe she said that like that is wow. just so wrong like, you know like no like that was an opportunity to promote a person of color promote yes. a woman to take that leadership role right Mm -hmm, they couldn't mm -hmm. find somebody they could have dug a little deeper honestly Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. so yes it was discriminatory because it was saying um that you know basically that somebody who was of color should have gotten the job right yeah and you know and we need to give more opportunities to blacks if you look um, or person of color, you look at, just look at the, the numbers, look at the statistics. Mm-hmm. They're not in corporate, they're not in corporate Canada. Mm-hmm. They're not um, getting the good jobs. They're not, mm-hmm. you know, there it's a lack of opportunity and people, people hire who they know. Yeah. People yeah. Who they know. And I think that's it's it's really interesting. I was actually going to ask you about that. Someone asked, "How do you feel about employment opportunities? Do you find that there's a lot of discrimination in the hiring process?" Right. So, um, that's a really good question because, um, like I said, black people of color, indigenous people, they don't get the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, the benefit of a doubt goes to. Uh, person um uh, the dominant culture white culture um because you know they, they talk the same language or they may go to the same university or they're alumni right and mm. so it's it's hard for a person uh, of color 
to get a good position, um, not just in Peterborough, but in general, you know, mm. um, it's the comfort level. It's a comfort yeah. level, right? Uh, yeah. Especially if they they don't. So, for example, um, my um, my daughter, her husband mm -hmm. works at um, a company in Toronto, a computer company, and this is Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I think I I could be wrong. She's on she's on the feed right now. But I think there's like a hundred people, and out of the hundred, mm -hmm. I think only I think he said ten percent is a people of color. So it's very few and far between. And that's in Toronto. You mm -hmm. know? That's in Toronto, mm -hmm. right? See, even so, as an international student, I've, I've just not to cut you off, sorry. <laughs> um, I've noticed that a lot of the jobs that I get, I get because I'm not, I pass, I can pass as like another, you know, there's like, I don't know if it's a microaggression, but a lot of people who hire me say, oh, but you're not like black like the other people. Like your accent, when you answer the phone, it doesn't sound like other African people. So I yeah. think also in terms of just like availability of opportunities it's almost like if you can pass off as being a little bit more canadian european. you're picked or european yeah yeah european there we go and, yeah. uh, thank you marie for the shout out there's not one person of color leader in peterborough not one that's right there isn't mm. no one out of seventy-five thousand, you you couldn't name uh uh, except maybe you could say the our counselors we have two, but there's no person of color in leadership. So that's that's what made it hard when um, I saw that post going to uh, another white person, another white guy. I just thought, oh my god, it's so wrong um, in so many levels. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so. I think Alex said, uh, "Are you fearful of the police in Peterborough?" I've never really. I used to be. So I'll tell you a fun story time. Okay. So, um, first year summer, I was driving in Toronto, and I was pulled uh -huh. over by the police. Oh my gosh! You were driving a BMW, though. <laughs> <laughs> you were I was pulled over by the police and I'm not even gonna lie to you I almost peed my pants just a little bit I was so scared and I'm so lucky I had my friend there with me because I feel like if I was on my own I would have just gone like crazy and just like I literally I and after that I didn't drive for like a year because oh, I was genuinely traumatized the like oh, oh so I I'm not gonna lie I used to be afraid of the police but I think I'm I'm a peace I'm at peace now um at least with the Peterborough police because I know um CRC has done a bit of training with them um and yeah. at least I've met a couple of them so I know what to expect but uh, yeah, there was a season in my life where I would see a cop car and I would be driving and my heart would do like palpitations and I'm like, oh Jesus, I don't want to die today. I don't want to go to heaven today. Um, again, it's a fear and it's, a lot of it is very irrational, but based on a lot of the stats and some of the things we see, 
um yeah. especially with social media like yeah absolutely but yeah i i could say that um again i i my history is like like i said i'm very comfortable white and um I I I'm not fearful. I I am fearful when I'm driving because 99% of the time I'm speeding. So I'm like, oh my god! Why is he not getting a ticket? Because I am I do I do speed. I do speed. So, but uh, I I yeah. So my um, good night, Maria. Um, yeah. So thank you for coming. Yeah. So I'm um. I'm not as, um, yeah, I, but yeah, but definitely there are lots of people who have had very bad experience with police yeah. and, um, because of their skin color, um, and they're treated inhumanely. Mm. So it, it can happen, mm. but personally I've never had any, I did have one experience though. Had one experience. Well, and you know what happened? It, this is what happened. So, you know, there's not that many black people in people. This is almost a little bit embarrassing. There's not that many black people in and so I was driving one day and I saw mm-hmm. I saw these black kids. Like they were walking to school actually. There was three black kids and and so I stopped the car and I, I greeted them. I said, Hey, hi, how are you doing? Right. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, at the time I had this um I had this uh, like this publication. Um, mm-hmm. that had my name and number and it was like, it had Joseph, it was called, um, the percolator. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, you know, where are you from? And they said, Nigeria. And I said, Oh, that's great. My, my, uh, son-in-law is from Nigeria. They seem really nice. So I gave mm-hmm. them the flyer and I said, I circled because it had my name and number. I said, give this to your parents mm-hmm. and you know, I'd love to touch bases with you later. I'm at work can't believe it I, I got a call from the police officer <laughs> at work yeah I got a police I, and I was so mad I was so mad because supposedly what happened is I went to school and they said how some I guess a black woman um, in a car in a car stopped and I was talking to them and gave gave this fire and and the teacher overheard it and thought, oh my gosh, a predator is in our midst. <laughs> they got the police on me. Really? <laughs> oh yes, they called the police on me. It was just, it was oh like. Oh my yeah. word, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> I was, and I just, I just basically, I told the police officer off. I said, like, come on, really, honestly. Mm, mm. I was really upset. I gave Talking the, about I gave, police, though. I gave him an uh, air phone. Really? Oh, absolutely. I gave him an air phone. I gave him my air phone. Wow. I said, Google my name. I told him that. I said, Google my name. And, like, honestly. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Um, someone asked, since you mentioned about uh, the police, someone said, uh, what kind of reform do you think um, we need when it comes to police brutality? So that's Desmond Cole in his book. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to the book. Can you see that? I know the skin. Um, so I'm actually going to put like a book list from like a reading book list so that people can go and like check out the books as well. So I'll get that from you after the live and then I can post yeah, it on yeah. the various social media. And that way people can actually go read the books too. Yeah. So um, in his book, he really talks about 
uh, police brutality because um, uh, police um, in uh, are overly um, when it comes to black, there's over um, brutality with um, police officers being more brutal to uh, people who are, are people of color. And what he proposes is that um, to do policing differently. Um, mm. to, um, when there is like um, mental health issue um, with a person, instead of sending the police with guns, that could escalate the problem to de-escalate it, to bring in people who are trained in mental health issues, so mm -hmm. more of a community base. And also, even in the book, Black Cops is another good example. Um, mm -hmm. uh, he, um, I forget his name, but anyhow, he um, really uh, promotes to get to know the neighborhood, spending time getting to know people so that you know the community you're in and they feel safe, that they could come to the police and mm -hmm. talk you know, building that rapport with community instead of just going in, um, doing the carding, um, mm. and things like that is building that relationship. And everything is really important. And that's what it is to be someone's asked how to become allies is yes. um, building the relationship with people of color, coming to things mm. like that, coming to CRC events. It's a difficult conversation um, to talk about racism because it's ingrained, right? Mm. Uh, it's uh, it's it's what we've learned um, as, like you said, three years old. It's what we learned. So oh. it's hard to even come to grips with the fact that you have these racist views. And even as a Black person, you have these racist views, right? Yeah. When, yeah. I grew, when I grew up, fortunately, my mom was not into colorism. She never said, oh, look at that person. She's so dark, right? She's never been... Mm. Never, but having said that, in the Jamaican community, that's a thing. And mm. um, and so we would unfortunately have friends who were Jamaicans who were like that. And I remember the one family, they had three kids and one of them was very, very dark, very dark in complexion. And the mom mm. was horrible, treated him wow. very badly and would say, oh, you're so black and ugly and all of that to this poor little boy, her own son her own wow. son and he internalized it and unfortunately he became a criminal like i'm not even joking mm. that was, you know what That's i mean sad. Yeah. It was sad, right it was sad it's very very sad right it was because it's like i mean from the little baby right she's like mm. oh my god he's so black right? mm. and then he he internalized that and he he got into life of crime her other kids came out fine successful yeah. because they weren't so dark right mm. so um yeah so when you build that relationship being an ally is building a relationship with with people who are different and and getting to know them and not judging them from because a, a white person when you see a white person you don't judge a white person when you first meet them Mm -hmm. a white guy you you just say oh maybe that white guy he could be into classical he could be in rock he could be into um r&b he could be into rap right you don't know right until you get to talk to them and you say yeah. oh, okay. oh i didn't know you liked r&b or mm. you know oh, you, you like rock music oh you're into classical or you know what i mean because you just yeah. you get to know them right but mm -hmm. as a black person you see me as black you think oh yeah she's probably like you know She's probably into hip hop and you know <laughs> fried chicken and watermelon and some of that, which I totally am. 
I am Julia. I am. So I do the stereotype, but I'm also I'm a, into classical. I play the violin. Mm-hmm. I love square dancing. I love square dancing. Just love that, you know. So you don't you wouldn't you would be surprised if I say you know. And I like rock, you know. Yeah. So like I don't know. I'm like a square, I guess, or what they say, Oreo cookie, maybe I don't know. But yeah, so I have all that uh, thing. So um, not judging a person by. The, your f- first appearance like um my daughter is married uh her husband is a senior engineer he's a senior engineer in a computer company he wears dreadlocks, mm. he wears dreadlocks right if you saw him you think oh yeah you know he does drugs or something. i don't know like just mm. by his parents but he's like executive director of a uh a, a, a senior engineering computer company so wow. like you know Mm. Uh, so is that that's really hard um I'm glad you touched on allyship I'm gonna read like there's a point I'd written in my presentation where it said um it would be good for people to have relationships with people of color um this is not so people of color will teach or educate you but rather you have experience of being connected across lines that have attempted to divide us um, from our other fellow human beings. So I think the next question naturally would be whose responsibility is it to start these conversations? Um, and leading up to the next question after that was um, how do we bring this uh, work to our families, re- relatives, and close relationships relatives. with, yes, uh, with intergenerational colorism or okay, racism? That's a good Yes, yes. So I'm going to get you to answer that. And then I can answer after you. So um, that's a really good question. How we bring the word to our families, especially those who are... So right now, um, I go to... A, I, I go to... A, um, uh, my church that I go to is a very small community church. Um, there's only... On Sundays, there's only be 30 on average. 335 mm-hmm. and uh, 335 about 90% of them are over 70 and um oh and and all of them are white I'm the only black person so mm-hmm. um so in that sort of setting I know like they're very nice to me and I'm I'm you know uh I do feel welcome that's probably why I'm still there I definitely do feel welcome but mm-hmm. it's the it, it, I I don't uh, it's would be very hard to talk about racism with them because I feel that you know they probably have very racist thoughts that you know yeah. I don't really want to bring that up I just want to keep it at the comfortable level and they're very like mm-hmm. I said they're very welcoming and they're very nice to me mm-hmm. um but it, it is a, a conversation because I'm not sure whether or not um by having with the older generation the very uh old stock canadian that is found prevalently in in our in peterborough how much they really want to have that discussion on racism now having said that we have we have two counselors who are black counselors um in peterborough so they would only get in if the older white a generation 
voted for them. They, that's the only way they could have gotten in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, they're, you know, and that I, that comes with um, being more, having more of these conversations, right? To eventually, um, so that they could see that uh, that thinking is wrong. That white supremacy is wrong. Right. Mm, yeah. yeah. I think so, for me, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, um, I was just going to say for me, I think that the one thing I've really learned throughout, like having these Let's Talk uh, sessions is that people want to talk. Yeah. Uh, they just want a place where they can have a safe conversation and where they can ask questions and it's, and they're not afraid to look a certain way. I think a lot of us are, are really, really I don't want to, yeah, and uh, even black people, I know a lot of black people who are like, I don't want to ask questions because I don't want to offend you. But if we normalize having these conversations, I think that's a good place to start. Let's just start with in terms of family, let's start with educating our children so that we're not making the same mistakes over and over. We have a lot of TV shows that you could be asking like, uh, so you've seen the show. What do you think about the show? Have you noticed? Do you think that all the little girls can be princesses? Uh, have you noticed something about the little girls that you see in here? Like start the conversation when, with, with, start with TV. Start with newspaper articles. Start with something that's pretty mellow um, and build up from there. But I think it's important that we be okay with being uncomfortable. There's nothing wrong with having discomfort. Whenever there's discomfort, it means that there's an opportunity to grow. That's the way I see it because I think there's so much growth that can happen from discomfort. It, whenever someone says something and I feel uncomfortable, I go back and like why did I feel uncomfortable about that a lot of the times it's because there's some kind of prejudice that I have that I need to work on myself so I think there's so much growth that can happen if we allow ourselves to be uncomfortable in a safe way in a respectful way but it's important that we start by asking questions and we start by normalizing having these conversations we all have social media for the most part start with the people who you who follow you Start there. If it's at home, dining room table talk. Hey, guys, I've noticed this in the newspaper. What do we think about this? So this has been happening at work. What do you think about this? What are your opinions? We don't have to agree, but we leave with a better understanding of what the other person's experience is. And so that's, that's kind of where I think we could start. Just normalize the conversation. The more we talk about it, the less taboo it becomes. It's like we don't talk about pooping all the time, and that's why it's so uncomfortable whenever people have to go to the bathroom. But it's normal for us to go to the bathroom. So the more we talk about it, <laughs> such a bad example. <laughs> um, but the more we talk about it, I feel like the more um, we allow for it to be normalized. I think the next question after that was, how do you feel about the media and their role in improving support? How do you feel about the media? Yeah, and mm -hmm. well, uh, that's a um, question of the year because the media, um, a lot of times, um, 
the portrayal of blacks in the media tend to not be very positive, and that's why um, a lot of blacks or um, just in general, a lot of people in general have negative views of uh, how they see black people um, mm. because of how they're portrayed in the paper, TV shows. Um, you know, uh, so it's 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 concerning. It's concerning. Um, mm. I don't, um, I remember when I was in university, our sociology professor would say the only time you, the only time you see blacks is when they're singing, dancing, or eating or something like that. Mm. Very limited, right? Um, they have not made blacks to look like just like a regular folks. They're either mm. criminalized or, or doing, um, you know, not being like, and even just like any of the movies, really, if you think about it, um, they tend to have the major roles are uh, are not played by uh, black people, and mm. it's just in general, even it's usually for the whites, or they have the parts, and other minorities, they don't they don't get those kind of main character roles, so they're like the sidekick mm. <laughs> when like. The funny so, other yeah. person. <laughs> They're yeah. the funny other person. I, I yeah, think John said um, the media controls the narrative. And I think we see that especially right now. Um, at the beginning of all the uh, ra- uh, the rallies, it was a lot of like uh, publicity about everything that was going on. And now it's almost changed to talking about the looting and the riots rather than the actual cause. And so you kind of see that shift in narrative, even the names that they're calling the protesters is, is, is they're using a lot of language that shows some kind of like, these people are destroying our country. They are, it's inhumane and almost language that justifies then killing people if that does happen um and so definitely i think they control the narrative but i think that's why it's important that we have more black people or at least more minority people taking up space um and changing the narrative and actually taking creating platforms that um speak well about minority people because i think we're doing amazing things we just don't hear about it because we don't control um, mass media in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, someone said, what do you think um, can help improve impoverished um, neighborhoods in Toronto, such as Jane and Finch, Dr- Driftwood neighborhoods, a part of the conversation about police brutality, um, including uh, ways to improve neighborhoods uh, who get stereotyped as bad neighborhoods. Uh, by improve, I mean improve the quality of life for people, um, not as in further policing these people. Yeah. What do you think of that? So um, for that, um, I know that um, unfortunately um, they have pulled some of the uh, funding for a social program. They found that uh, if youth are engaged in some uh, extra curriculum, um, mm-hmm. if they could find work, if they're engaged in, in some sort of activities to keep them occupied, 
um, that they um, they do well. They're, they're, the criminality is decreased. And it's, it's, you know, when it comes to those sections of Toronto, um, which is a lot of blacks, um, it's more of a, it's, it's, it's more of an economic situation as well. So for example, um, when I, my first job was at Canada's Wonderland. Um, I was 16 and I worked there the first year it was open. And I remember there was a very large article at the time that was written in Toronto Star that said mm -hmm. uh, that um, they weren't hiring blacks at Canada's Wonderland. And I did get the job. Um, then uh, the, there, but then I realized I know why I got the job um, mm. as a black person, and because they said Jane and Finch was close to Canada's Wonderland, and why weren't they hiring people uh, blacks from there? Um, they weren't being hired. It was because my postal code. They knew the oh. postal code. Oh, Toronto, and that's why, right? It was my postal oh. code. Yeah, and so that's that's the discrimination, the, uh, the racial discrimination as well that mm. goes because they're like, you're from that area, you're you know, as soon as you put your postal code down, they they, it's like a target on your back, mm. and they need jobs. They have parents who work hard, and some of them have single moms who are working really hard to mm. put food on the table, and so they um you know, they, they need to have some sort of uh, activity that they could work on. So for example, my daughter um, is, uh, she's a big sister. Uh, mind you, she has three other sisters. <laughs> she's like with four <laughs> girls, but mm -hmm. she, joined, she joined an organization to be a big sister. And she's a big sister to a young lady that lives in that area. Mm. Um, the, mom is single, the mom is a single mom. Uh, she has three kids and, um, you know, with um, encouragement from the, my, my daughter, her, the, this young lady is now in college because, um, you know, my, my daughter worked with her and worked with her mom um, to encourage her to continue doing well in school and mm. just having that, having that ear because she was struggling as a single mom to yeah. have her kids go on the right path and to see a regular black folk, which my daughter is, she's not a movie star. She mm -hmm. wishes she was like a Beyonce. <laughs> soon, <Yeah>. soon. <laughs> she's got, you know, and, and so you may have those um, big stars, you know, like Oprah, whatever, but mm -hmm. you need the regular folk uh, as your, as a mentor and that's what she was a regular for mentoring her and now she she is doing very well um, in college so yeah i'm just writing down the questions in case the live ends at some point because i'm looking at the time and i'm thinking it's got to time us out very soon um yemi said that i find that the portrayal of black people in the media also contributes to why some black people don't speak out in various environments and settings what do you think? Yeah, um, yeah, I would think that um, absolutely the, their voices are not heard in the media. So, and again, that's the, like, for example, in the book, the anti-racism book that I'm, I'm reading, uh, there's an there's a example um, 
where uh, he's in the classroom and uh, there's not that many blacks. It's all, all white. There's maybe two or three blacks. And mm -hmm. he said every single time uh, black people, uh, the black student would put the hand up. The teacher would never ask them. It was always like pointing wow. to the you know, and um, so, so like you're, you're saying, you know, it's from a very early age, like, and that's where they become mute, right? Mm, from a very mm. early age, because the teacher is not asking the black kid who puts his hand up. I, when I was in high school, check this out. When I was in high school, I went to a school called Dr. Norman Bethune. That mm -hmm. is itself the name controversial, but anyhow, um, <laughs> And yeah, Dr. Norman, you know, anyhow, we were on time. Uh, and so it was geography class, and his my teacher's name was Mr. Stamp. And mm -hmm. geography class, his name was Mr. Stamp, but anyhow, I don't know. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was really weird that way, right? It was in Scarborough. And um, he decided somewhere along the semester, I think maybe mm -hmm. we were like a halfway into the semester, he was going to change the system where he wouldn't know, um, I think it was history, I could be wrong, it was either geography or history, or he did a combination of both. He mm -hmm. was going to change it so that he would not know the names, he would not know whose paper he was marking. We were going to be like um, blinded, like a, a blind method oh. that he would not know like we, it was a system like at the end of the year you would get your mark but mm -hmm. he didn't know that he was marking my paper or john's paper it was mm -hmm. just going to be blind he, he's put this in that you know what i got 10 percent more because he did that on that's so interesting so in one of my business classes, they were actually talking about how, like, um, I'm doing a business ethics class, and they were talking about how with interviewing, they're trying to come up with a way where they can interview you without, like, necessarily seeing, like, who you are. Yeah. Um, Obviously, there are things like accents that can give away, like, where you're from, but um, they've noticed that a lot of cases where they've given people just essays to write and send, um, it's been a lot fairer. Um, and, mm -hmm. and there's been equal opportunity for all people. Places yeah. where they've done uh, blind, like they'll have a wall and have the recruiter and a, uh, the recruitee. There. Yes, yes. Um, they, again, mm -hmm. they've seen that a lot more uh, people of color are hired. And even when they repeated those experiments, they realized that people just by default were picking people that were familiar with them and by default, because a lot of the recruiters weren't people of color, less people mm -hmm. of color were being picked up. So I find that really yeah. interesting that, that, that works. Yeah. And actually uh, there's an orchestra. I can't remember where, but I read it that they, that's what they do when they do the auditions and they found that there was mm. an increase. They did have an increase in, um, I think it was a fit there said, uh, um, female, and more mm. minority, they have more minority, more female because they they changed the way that they selected the orchestra was blinded, and they just played behind. They couldn't see them, so they they found that there was an increase. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So, I'm gonna give you the last question real quick before we get cut out. It says, "Do you think that the universal basic income could help eliminate the economic factor?" I think that's regarding the question about um, yeah. Toronto. Yeah. Well, the universal, uh, the basic income uh, that uh, this uh, Doug Ford got rid of, 
um, it was a pilot project. I think that's what they're saying. And mm -hmm. uh, where uh, it helped a low income families to live a better life. So, yes, I think that would um, help because then um, they could, um, instead of at the end of the month, um, not having enough uh, food on the table or they would they could use it to improve their situation whether it's to go back to school or things like that um even when it comes to food security uh people mm -hmm. of color uh a higher proportion of people of color uh do um have uh, are suffering from food security so a basic income uh, the universal income would help so that uh, they wouldn't, um, they would have enough, uh, you know, enough to eat and to care for their families properly. Um, mm. Especially these, um, you know, if it's a single mom, it can make a world of difference helping her family so that she's not working two to three jobs at a mm. time. So, mm. Yeah. Why did they get rid of it? Because it was a pilot project? Oh, yes, Doug Ford, when he came in, he got rid of it, unfortunately. But it had shown very good success. It was a limited, though, because it was done, I think, in Lindsay was one of the pilot places. But, mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Charmaine. I really, really appreciate you. I don't see any questions. Um, I will just do, like, a quick social service announcement. Um, there is a rally protest happening tomorrow um downtown peterborough at 12. i'm going to be posting about it straight after this live session um please be safe uh social distancing masks all of that stuff um but i think if you if that's something that you want to do please support um be an ally in whatever way you feel comfortable in um they do have a facebook page again i'll link all of that um in the description uh thank you so much charmaine for being part of this thank conversation you. and thank you to every single person who commented um we really value the questions that you had um and they really made us think about life outside of the four walls of our, our houses um mm -hmm. and uh we do host conversations like this every other monday so every second monday um we talk about something Last month, it was talk colorism, and we really just went ham on colorism. We spoke about everything, <laughs> everything colorism. Again, if you want to watch the videos, I have them on my YouTube channel, um, or you can view them through my website. Um, yeah, but this is just a community. We want to have conversations. If you have any topic ideas, send them through. Nothing is off the grid. Charmaine, do you have any final words? <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Thank you so much for giving uh, giving the opportunity to to share with you and others who are on this call on this. So thank you. Oh, it was my pleasure. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So again, my name is Ropo Fazzo. This is Charmaine, and this has been Let's Talk Racism and Racial Injustice. We appreciate you. We love you. Please stay safe. Um, remember, there is a protest tomorrow at 12. All the information, I will link in all the information after I post this. Um, I'll share it on all social medias. Have an awesome evening, guys. Sleep well. Take care. Bye.